Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could turn your world upside down. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real crisis or a ripped from the headlines controversy. My crisis squad and I are here to find solutions. Our suggestions are meant to empower you to handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help your specific need. Today, we have a case file that to date seems like the most volatile I've seen in a long while, and one that might have had a different outcome if the crisis files had been called in. Crisis Squad member Dr. Abdul Omari is here with me. He's an inclusion and equity thought leader, a professor to college and corporate executive students. You'll see his perspective is even more on point in the case file I call Academic Feelings. This case involves Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota. It landed in the middle of a national firestorm following the school's decision to end its relationship with an adjunct art history instructor who showed images of the Prophet Muhammad in an October 2022 art class. While some Muslims believe images of the Prophet should never be shown, the National Office for the Council on American-Islamic Relations responded to the incident by saying it draws a distinction between what is shown in an academic setting versus someone using images to mock the religion, adding, quote, Academics should not be condemned as bigots without evidence or lose their positions without justification. Hamlin University administrators have flip-flopped between late 2022 and present day. When I tell you this case is evolving, we're talking daily. On January 17th, a new wrinkle. The adjunct, Erica Lopez Prater, filed a lawsuit against Hamlin in Ramsey County Court, claiming defamation, breach of contract, religious discrimination, plus more. Hamlin initially called the decision to show the artwork disrespectful and Islamophobic. However, Hamlin's president on January 13th said the decision not to renew the teacher's contract was not a firing, but a unit-level decision to not offer her class in the following semester. Not commenting on the January 17th lawsuit specifically, but shortly after it went public, President Fainice Miller and Board Chair Ellen Waters said the news activity prompted them to review and re-examine university policy. They'll also hold two campus-wide inclusion events in the coming months. Abdul, a lot to unpack here. I really feel if Hamlin had come to the crisis files, the crisis squad and I could have prevented this firestorm. That said, what do you make of things, especially because this instructor warned students at the start of the semester she would be showing artwork that some might find offensive and even wrote that into the course syllabus. She also says prior to showing the historic art on October 6th, she issued another warning and gave students an opportunity to look away or leave. It was one student who went to administrators and said she was surprised when she saw the illustration. Well, this is a messy one. There's a lot happening here. I mean, first and foremost, I think about the unfortunate impacts to so many stakeholders, people, institutions, uh, groups of people. So one, of course, the student at hand. Two, those who are familiar with whether it's Islamophobia or other forms of discrimination, and this brought back some of those thoughts and feelings. It's unfortunate for Hamlin. It's unfortunate for the adjunct professor, of course. And as someone who is not Muslim, 
raised in a mixed religious household. My father's Muslim. My mother's Greek Orthodox Christian. I'm not an expert in this religious studies. However, this is one that brings a lot of conversations that come to my mind, not only as someone who is in a classroom educating, someone who used to be a regent at a large institution, and where these things sort of overlap and come together, plus my work life. It seems to me, though, that Hamlin had a need or felt a desire to jump on this as soon as possible when it started getting any headway. And as you mentioned, they're starting to backtrack a little bit. As we know, in crisis, a lot of people immediately go to, we got to do something right now. And when they do that, they later find out that, oh, wait, we may not have had enough information before we jumped on it. I think this is one of those cases. There's a lot of she said, he said, they said, we said going on here. But what I tried to do in preparation for talking with you today is to really understand the facts. And my biggest challenge and I would say accusation toward Hamlin is they had one student come to them. It's a little unclear of the exact date, but it was the October 6th incident of the showing of the prophet sometime after that one student. Now, that one student also had the syllabus, was also presumably there when the adjunct instructor said, okay, remember, I'm showing this today if you need to look away or leave the room, because as I understand it, the class either was a mixed or there was some virtual component to it. So that's also the one student's responsibility to be a full member of class. And if she didn't read her own syllabus, then I have an issue with that. And if the president of the university and other faculty members didn't dig into what was happening before, they just decided as a unit to not offer this class the following semester, the optics on that just make it look like you took this adjunct member out because of this incident. So that's what really makes no sense to me. I mean, these are professionals. The president of Hamlin is no newbie to PR. I've actually met the woman. I don't know her well, but I looked up her credentials and she's got quite the background. So to me, this was a crisis that didn't need to happen. What I would have loved was for at the time this was going on and that one student had a complaint that the investigators at Hamlin looked into it, asked all the questions. And at that time, fall, winter 2022, they made the decision to start having conversations, whether it's focus groups, town halls, whatever. And we could have really had a beautiful showcasing of what Hamlin was doing to try to understand. And it's very unclear to me, at least in the moment, what happened post-October 6th. I think that was the day that the image was shown. And it seems like there was almost a quiet phase between there until the non-renewal of the adjunct faculty member, and then it blew back up into where it's at now. One of the challenges that organizations are facing, educational and otherwise, is how do we provide spaces for people to be safe, physically and psychologically, who historically have not. And in this case, that would be the student. Right. Well, and I can say that as a Catholic. You know, I went to an all-Catholic school, all-Catholic meaning it was Boston College. Not everyone there was Catholic. Your academic, your religious freedom was respected. You did have to take, in your first couple years there, at least two semesters of religious studies. But you had a choice. I took a semester of Christianity. I took a semester of Hinduism. My paternal grandfather happens to be Hindu. Guess what? The class was taught by a Jesuit priest who happened to have a PhD in Sanskrit. He was teaching me Hinduism. He was not suppressing. He was not 
necessarily saying I had to be one thing or another. I don't think he even cared what religion anyone in the room was. He was teaching Hinduism. So that's what you expect in these classrooms. Now, I dug into some of the layers of this. You asked about, well, what happened post-October 6, 2022? Well, according to the Oracle, which is the student newspaper that first reported on this, on December 9th, President Fainese Miller is quoted as saying, respect for the observant students in that classroom, meaning the Muslim students, should have superseded academic freedom. She was quoted as saying that. So that is a real tough thing because on any given day at any university, and in my past, I've been adjunct faculty at St. Catherine University in St. Paul, Minnesota, as well as at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. And on any given day, I am not asking my students, what is your religion? But I am being as respectful and civil and objective as possible in presenting the material I'm teaching. And I think that's what we've come to expect at American universities anyway. One of the challenges, though, is when you're talking academic freedom, which is a cornerstone of higher education, that does not mean that you can be reckless either, though. And exactly. I, don't think that, I don't think that this professor was. That's not by any means. She I, seemed very conscientious from what I've read. That's what I am also observing and seeming to take in as well. In the case of President Miller's comment that the disrespect of Muslim students or of religion outweighs academic freedom— I think that's a very strong statement, particularly in this case where, from everything that I've read and seen, does not suggest that there was any malintent, that it does not suggest that it was mockery of the Prophet Muhammad. Of course, that's where the debate about whether or not the images can be shown comes into. I just don't know where you can see an image like this. I mean, in fact, I've learned a lot about Islam from just reading about this interchange, this narrative. And how else would you even see this image but in an art class, in a contained environment that hopefully is just a safe space to view it, to talk about it, to ask questions, to not be judged? That begs another question, which is, has the faculty member set those boundaries in that container as a safe space? I understand that the faculty member gave a number of verbal warnings before showing it, and we still might not be in a space where... At least one student felt comfortable taking in an image and we could replace that student with another student in a different image and say, well, maybe that assumed safe space in the classroom is just that, an assumption. Well, that is what I wish Hamlin would have looked into back in October, November. But I also put it incumbent on, yes, you're a student, but presumably an adult, you're over 18, you also have some responsibility to be fully present in your class. And to my understanding, that student never went to her faculty member or an advisor, even if you don't want to go to that particular instructor, and said, this is going to happen on this date. I'm uncomfortable. So I think we also have personal responsibility. And I've heard of different situations where academic institutions in different parts of the country get very frazzled by what one student or a small segment of students decide to do in the name of, I'm ticked off by this. I'm feeling discriminated by this. Yes, those are very real feelings. Let me tell you, I've lived my entire life being discriminated against. But every day, if I were to take issue with it, I couldn't live, right? I have to voice it, appropriate channels. I have to give people time to respond. But I myself shouldn't be bombastic in how I'm trying to get equality for myself. I mean, there could be students in that room. I mean, I'm Catholic. It's a Methodist institution. They may have had issues with it. We didn't hear about that. But at the end of the day, Abdul, 
it's kind of like, where are we if we can't have these conversations in academic institutions when it seemed like this adjunct faculty member was doing everything right? Now, let's talk about her lawsuit really quickly because she is claiming her attorneys are asking for at least $350,000 in damages because they're saying her career has been so harmed that she may never find work again. Before we get there, I want to say, yes, we walk and live by our identifiers and get discriminated against and have experienced it throughout our lives and what have you. I also think that Everyone takes those in and responds to those very, very differently. So how you and I might respond to those, other people will respond differently. In the fight for equality, we need multiple players that respond to things differently. So in this case, this student went to administration, was loud about it, and others may be more quiet about it and may respond in different ways. Well, what the administration needed was a process. That's fine if we have different ways to react and voice our opinions. But the institution that is Hamlin University, the institution that is any government or any university body, the institution itself needs to have a process. So it can be looked at and look itself in the mirror and not feel that we have an arbitrary and capricious process. Because that is what I learned in law school. As soon as you get into arbitrary... You lose in a court of law. They've already lost in the court of public Public opinion, opinion. as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to place a bunch of blame on this student for expressing her discomfort. I do not blame her, but I do ask her to be responsible in a class that if she is a member of, if you have the right to complain about your instructor, you better have darn well have read that syllabus and, and known what was going on. So you all, you don't lose all self-responsibility in the name of your own personal rights. My biggest blame is on Hamlin and how they handled yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And we don't know how we're going to respond in certain situations, even if we're warned, though. I just don't know what's going on in this person's head if they were aware and then all of a sudden they see it and boom, it just kind of hits them in a way that they didn't expect. I also just want to note that there is a nuance here that it is a Muslim image compared to a more popular, accepted U.S. religion. It's different if a body of people, whether it's religion or race or age or gender, is more frequently unaccepted and something like this happens compared to a more dominant accepted body and something like that happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And so I just want to add that nuance too. And I love that you brought that up because it makes me think about the various reporting on this. And I do want to give a shout out to CARE 11 Television in the Twin Cities because they were very thorough in actually quoting the actors, the different statements that were said, the actual claims that are being brought by this adjunct member. And one of the things that came out in that is also the different layers of support that this adjunct faculty member had, not only from other art history professors, but from other Islamic groups. So even in the Islamic community, there was disagreement over the reaction, which just shows not every Muslim is the same, not every Catholic is the same, not every Jew is the same. And that's what we have to remember, that no religion is some monolith. Not one person speaks for all. And that's why the lawyer in me says we need processes, because the process, and in a lot of times it's the letter of the law or the letter of the procedure in a manual at a workplace, gives us something to try to neutralize and not speak as a monolith 
but to speak in fairness for all. Mm -hmm. I don't know what their process was or if they had one or not. It reminds me of some of the other situations that we've talked about, which are like, okay, when the crisis comes, then we got to go back and say, what process did we not have? Do we need to add what policies, so on and so forth? So I agree with you on that. And the other piece of this is like things can coexist. And what I mean by that is the faculty member sounds like they went out of their way to do a whole setup, warning, what have you. And someone could feel disrespected by it. And those two things can exist at the same time. Yeah, and you've and taught that's a classic case here. me and the Crisis Files listeners a lot about coexisting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the juxtaposition of how many things can coexist. So what is your response? I'm asking you mm-hmm. professionally, how do we manage that from a mental health standpoint? Because I want to be respectful of other people. I don't think I'm always right by any means. And I also understand that sometimes my feelings aren't going to win the day. So how do we manage that? And we've talked about grace most times when you and I talk together on The Crisis Files. There's a lot to it. When I'm in a classroom, there's a whole lot of relationship building in the classes that I'm in, especially when I have the opportunity to be with students longer. That means a whole lot of different things. That means showing up and giving them more of myself than people traditionally are used to in a higher education setting. I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about who I am. I'm learning about them. I'm doing some assignments that get deeper beyond just like, here's the content that we're presenting, but also let's apply that to your life. So really building rapport and building trust with you and among them. Correct. So then when we're in situations like this, I can check in with students and it's harder virtually for sure, but you start to notice body language. You start to notice when someone turns off their camera, but they usually have it on or you're checking in over the private chat. Hey, how's it going? Would you like to jump in? Do you want to comment? So there's lots of different ways that are not traditional interactions in a classroom that we can set, whether you want to call it a container, whether you want to call it a safe space, all those things in situations like this, there's more opportunity for learning. There's more opportunity for benefit of the doubt. There's more opportunity for grace. So those are some things that I think are really important. And we have to show up in that too. Sometimes people are like, I've never been in a classroom where somebody talks about their life. But why not? Exactly. There has to be a level of openness and curiosity, as you talked about. I do want to come back to the lawsuit, though. This is a fascinating one in and of itself and for a variety of reasons. Number one, I'm not an attorney either, but I don't know how Hamlin gets out of this one. Well, I am a licensed attorney. I'm not practicing day in and day out. But what I will say through my legal lens is, look, she wasn't fired. The unit made a decision to not extend. I mean, that's just poppycock. I mean, it just looks bad. Especially at such a small institution. The other thing, though, that'll be interesting, because this is a, a also a microcosm of academic freedom conversations happening across the country. And one of the ones that blew up in the last maybe year or so was at the University of North Carolina with Hannah Nicole Jones from the 1619 Project, who was through all the 10-year process, had her own center and all of that. And then the regents which this almost never happens, blocked it at the regent level. And what was interesting is folks were like, we'll take you, we'll take you. So I'll be interested to see what does happen with this person's career. Well, and so my legal prediction is this isn't going to go to some kind of a trial and Hamlin will settle it out. I will tell you that it is also interesting, as I was peeling the layers of this, the former president spoke out against her previous institution, Hamlin, and was very confused at Hamlin's actions. That almost appalled me more than anything. 
I'm sorry, former presidents. Don't talk about your current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk about the current yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is just another crisis now waiting for Hamlin to deal with. Oh, my goodness. Abdul, we'll keep on following this. We are recording this on January 18th. I've given you datelines as to what's just happened in the last few days. This episode uh, drops on January 23rd, and who knows what more will have happened by then. <laughs> and afterward, we'll probably have to do a take two on this. But thanks so much, Dr. Abdul Omari, for your thoughts. He is our trusted Crisis Squad member on issues of equity, inclusion, fairness, and diversity. He's also an adjunct faculty member himself at Augsburg and faculty in the University of Minnesota Carlson School's Executive Education Program. Today's Crisis Brief is brought to you by Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Number one. Set clear policies on academic freedom, which is not a license to freely offend, nor is it a call to never offend. Number two, get your own facts straight before you act in any situation. Number three, when in doubt, bring in cultural and messaging professionals. Avoid hyped interpretations through your own lenses, which may not have complete information. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is a proud sponsor of the Crisis Files podcast. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is the area's most active business advocacy organization, playing a critical role in top issues impacting the region, including workforce development, education, housing, and transportation. Make your voice heard by becoming a member of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Learn more at mpleschamber.com or Google Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Thank you to my podcast co-producers, Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music and Kim Inslee. Catch up on all our case files. Go to thecrisisfiles.com for our archive plus special video elements. Subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files. Crisis Files.